morning. Our scripture reading this morning is taken from uh, John chapter 16, verses 16 to 24, and that's on page 1047 in your pew Bible. In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. Some of his disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me, and because I'm going to the Father? They kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, Are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? I tell you the truth. You will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you. Now is your time of grief. But I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth. My Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Let's pray. Lord, it is good to praise you. It is good to come into your house together and know that you join us here. And we're thankful this morning as we look forward to the celebration of that greatest of miracles, you, God, becoming man and living with us. We thank you for your word, for this record of the conversation that Jesus had with his disciples. And like them, Lord, we are of weak understanding, and we ask you to, um, to help us with this this morning. Thank you for Pastor Mark and for... Uh, the message that you've laid on his heart, and we ask that you just um, give us ears to hear and to understand um, the message that he brings. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Kate. Over the last month or so, I've witnessed, and perhaps you have too, more examples than usual of the highs and lows of athletic competition. Of course, we'd have to begin with our own Winnipeg Blue Bombers and the recent loss in the Grey Cup. Hopefully the low brought on by the last second loss might have been tempered at least a little bit by the reality we won the two previous championships and we were going for a third in a row. Then there's the World Cup the biggest, baddest, grandest, and greatest soccer tournament in the world that happens every four years, except, it turns out, during pandemic seasons, in which final match is happening right now as we speak between Argentina and France. 
I'm not a partisan, go Argentina, but I am trying to stay out of it. Let me tell you, there are high, more highs and lows, broken hearts and the dashing of dreams that go on in the World Cup from the first match to the last, however delusional they may be, than maybe any other athletics competition than the Olympics, perhaps. If you're not a sports fan, then you're likely ready to move on already, but I must, I must, and I must mention what's going on in the National Football League, the NFL, the last two weeks. And then yesterday happened, after I'd already written this. Over the last two weeks, there have been three humongous comebacks and one beatdown that defied everyone's expectations. The first involved, of course, future first ballot Hall of Famer Tom Brady when he and his Tampa Bay Buccaneer offense did nothing over three and a half quarters and then came back to engineer a thrilling win by one point over the Las Vegas Raiders. In the aftermath of such a thrilling win, everyone, and I do mean everyone, was telling Tom Brady again and for 22 years how great he is, that he's the best ever, the GOAT, as they say, greatest of all time, and how he can do it again to the point he allowed his family to disintegrate over an adrenaline and endorphin-driven quest to experience this joy one more time. Not to be outdone when Jimmy Garoppolo, quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers, and who looks a little bit like Ian Mogulewski, I'm not sure, but um, he got hurt. And Brock Purdy, Brock Purdy, with Abby, I say, who the heck is Brock Purdy? Former four-year starting quarterback for Iowa State University, a rookie, and the last player taken in the 2022 draft, the person they call Mr. Irrelevant, he came in and played like, well, Tom Brady for an unexpected win. Please hold that thought for just a moment or two. Then to blow everyone away last week, Mercurial and oft-maligned quarterback Baker Mayfield was traded to the Los Angeles Rams on Tuesday. He suited up on Thursday night and came in after just four snaps of the ball and engineered a win as thrilling as the others with guys he'd met and a playbook he'd only been exposed to for literally a day and a half. Wow. Finally, to top it all off, and I won't mention yesterday, but yesterday... My Indianapolis Colts were up 33 to nothing to the Vikings and lost in overtime. Crazy. 39 to 36. But anyway, before that, I was topping it off with this. The very next week, which was last weekend, that same 22-year-old rookie quarterback, Mr. Irrelevant Brock Purdy, found his Mr. Irrelevant self making his first NFL start opposite his boyhood idol, you guessed it, 45-year-old Tom Brady. Brock and his 49er offense ran circles around Brady and his Buccaneers, and at one point the score was 35 to nothing. There was no comeback. Of course, it didn't hurt that the 49ers have the best defense in the NFL, but that's beside the point. The pictures from one week to the next couldn't have been starker. Euphoria one week, misery the next. Greatness one week, abject failure the next. 
Real hope for a playoff berth and one more championship run throughout the impossible one week and gone the next. As I approach these sporting events, either in whole or in part, it's as if the Lord was showing me that this contrast of highs and lows is the best the flesh and the world can give us, ever. By experiencing the highs vicariously, as some of us do in front of a television screen or at the stadium, we might understand why players such as Brett Favre or Tom Brady have trouble walking away when their time has passed. What they experience is real, but it's not real life. Real life is shoveling snow. Real life is washing dishes. Real life is having a meal around the table with your family on a regular basis. Real life is getting your kids to school on time. Real life is picking them up on time. Real life is getting them to bed even when they don't want to go. Real life is coming to church when you don't want to. Real life is spent in the trenches, not on the mountaintops. It's cold up there, too. So to be clear, in hopes no one misses the point, the highs, even the euphoria we might experience from time to time during what we perceive as our best times are not what the Bible teaches about, not what Jesus talks about, and not what the Holy Spirit brings on as joy. And the best, best parts about the joy the Bible, Bible references, the joy that Jesus Christ talks about, and the joy the Holy Spirit brings, first, this joy does not depart from us. It endures, just as long as the Holy Spirit is with us. And he will never leave us nor forsake us. Secondly, this joy lasts forever. It is eternal. And it's eternal because the Holy Spirit is eternal. This sort of spirit-given joy has no end. And this is the best part. There are no crashes or letdowns on the backside of this joy because there is no backside. To this joy, there is no end. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Now we're ready for the central truth of the message for this morning. You'll see it there on the inside left of your uh, bulletin. I'd invite you to follow along with me. It's not very long. It looks a whole lot like last week's. Um, and it is, except just one small phrasing change. And that is a promise from Jesus Christ. Here it is. Transforming and transcendent joy. So transforming, it changes us. Transcendence, is a, it's, it's bigger than us. It's above us. It's beyond us. Transforming and transcendent joy, enduring and eternal joy. It has no end and it endures through whatever circumstances we find ourselves. Transforming and transcendent joy, enduring and eternal joy is a fundamental, spirit-given, Christ-like characteristic promised by Jesus Christ to all his born-again disciples disciples 
every single what? That's a promise from Jesus. It's a promise from Scripture. Let's look at it for the next few minutes. Let's pray together first, though. Lord, Lord, I pray that you would speak through me somehow and speak to us your word. Derived from Holy Scripture, born by your Spirit, transforming us into the likeness of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd worked and waited for this night for a whole year. Truth be told, I'd worked for this night for the better part of three years. It was the Huntington County Track and Field Championships of Huntington County, Indiana. And I was the favorite in the two-mile run, maybe even to set a record. One difficult part of being a two-mile runner was that my race was the next-to-last race of the meet, always. Only the 4x400 relay was left to run. I guess a good aspect to that, though, is that people paid attention, if only in hopes that it'd be over. So I warmed up well. I felt great. I talked to my coach and the other two two-mile runners from my school about our plan to control the race from the front. If we ran well and stuck together, we might be able to score big points for our team, maybe even 10, 8, and 5. That's first, second, and fifth. Those 23 points might even put us over the top for the team championship. It'd be close, but maybe, maybe. So it came time to go. We lined up, bang, went the gun, and we were off. For the first mile, everything went to plan, just under five minutes. All three of us were in the top five. The pace quickened when my nemesis from Bluffton, Stacy Schwartz, pushed for the lead. But my buddy, Mike King, wouldn't give it up. So I was in third. My other buddy, Jim Booker, was right on my shoulder. Just as we had planned, this was looking very good. The bell for the last lap sounded, and we were on record pace. Stacy pushed past Mike, and I went after him. Mike recovered and was, was right with us, and so was Jim. Before I knew it, we were in the third turn. And this is how the headline in the, up, in the local paper recorded those last 180 yards. Wilcoxon blazes to victory, sets new county two-mile standard. Not bad, huh? <laughs> It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. It was the pinnacle of my athletic achievement, it was the most exciting moment of my athletic life, and it was the ninth grade. Now in that thrilling moment, besting my 10 or 12 competitors, helping our team to the 1977 Huntington County Track and Field Championship, and setting a new county two-mile record, I would have called that joy. It felt like joy, only it wasn't. It was fun. It was memorable, obviously. But it wasn't lasting. There would be many unjoyous running moments ahead. My 10th grade year was okay. I ran varsity cross country with the, other guy, with the older guys. There was my 11th grade year when I was awarded most outstanding runner by the cross country team but I crashed in the 12th grade. 
I didn't know it then, but I was experiencing my first bout with depression. And I continued to run for a couple of years, including in college, but 1977 was the bomb for sure. In chapters 14, 15, and 16 of John's Gospel, Jesus is recorded doing two essential things. First, he's preparing them for his departure. Now, they were a little slow on the uptake, as we noticed, and he keeps telling them he's leaving them, and they keep missing it somehow. What, what are you talking about, and does he, does he really mean what he's talking about? But yes, he was preparing them for his impending departure from them, his death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, along with his brief 40-day return, and ultimately his ascension back to the Father in heaven until he returns for good. And this was important for them to know so that they would not be disillusioned and disoriented, although they were both of those things in reality, when he was gone. The second essential thing that Jesus Christ is doing in chapters 10, uh, rather 14, 15, and 16 of John's gospel, is revealing to them and to us as well the essential eternal relationships between him and his Father, him and the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit and the Father, and the Holy Spirit to them, that is, his disciples, and to us. The Holy Spirit being co-equal and co-essential for our salvation, for our living out of the Christian life, and for our enduring eternal joy and hope. Concerning his soon departure from this world and from his disciples, Jesus Christ is recorded in the Gospel of John, chapter 16, just a few verses before Kate began to read, verse 7. I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, can't you imagine his disciples? The, help, the helper what? The helper who? I'm okay with you, Jesus. Let's just hang here. You can keep teaching us. We can keep following you all over, which is the exact call we responded to when you called us to, call, called us to follow you. Well, to be fair, without the profound theological revelation that we have from the rest of the New Testament about the necessity of Jesus' departure for our salvation, we can certainly understand why they might prefer Jesus stay right where he was, with them, teaching them, leading them, and loving them. And if I were there among them, I would say amen and me too. Unfortunately for them, and perhaps also for us, Jesus did not come merely to hang out, to have fun, to teach some cool stuff, to enjoy the company of friends, to go home feeling good about what we experienced together and ourselves, and put, on a put it on a perpetual repeat cycle. Let's say a perpetual repeat cycle on Sundays. How about that? Yeah, Sundays. We'll do this every Sunday, Jesus. Just don't go anywhere. Now, ultimately speaking, 
Jesus Christ came to go. Jesus Christ was born to die. Jesus Christ lived to give himself for the sins of the whole world and the salvation of his people. There were thrilling moments when he was with us, but Jesus had an even bigger mission from his heavenly father. His mission is to save peoples from all the nations. And to do that, he had to go and send his Holy Spirit because there was no other effective way. And while Jesus Christ clearly arrived in Bethlehem to depart from the Mount of Olives, from where, from where he returned to his Father in heaven, he promised not to leave us as orphans, but to comfort us as children, embrace us as brothers and sisters, entrust us as friends, and empower us as partners in his mission to save the world and make all things new. I have four points, and they'll go quickly. Point number one from verses 16, 17, and 18 of John chapter 16. The context for the giving and receiving of the Holy Spirit was and is the departure of Jesus, though his disciples would not understand. The context for the giving and receiving of the Holy Spirit was and is the departure of Jesus, though his disciples would not understand. Look there with me at verse 16. A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. Now, we know from other scripture, and you all will remember this, this verse, even though you may not be able to call it chapter and verse, that with the Lord... A thousand years is like a day, and a day like a thousand years. So when Jesus says a little while, he probably doesn't mean day after tomorrow. We have to remember that. Yes, it's been 2,000 years, but if a thousand years to the Lord is like a day, we're in day two. So as we wait so patiently, we think, Let's remember that his timeline is not ours. And he says, in a little while to him, he will go, and in a little while, we'll see him. Verse 17. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me? And again, a little while, and you will see me? And... Because I am going to the Father? So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? Well, the good news is we don't have to answer it for ourselves because Jesus fills in the blanks, as he did with them. And he knew what they were asking. We should not be surprised by that. There are a number of places in Scripture where he knows somebody's talking about him or somebody's talking uh, about some topic that, that relates to him. And he interjects and says, were you talking about that? Or let me share with you the truth about that issue. And here he is again 
whether he could overhear the conversation or he knew it uh, in, in other ways, uh, we can't be sure, but uh, they're having this trouble that we would have as well. A little while gone, a little while back. Is he going to the store? What, what's going on here? So it's important for us to understand that the context for the giving and receiving of the Holy Spirit was and is the departure of Jesus, though his disciples would not understand. The second thing I'd like for us to think about as we look at this passage um, in, in, in some detail, although we could spend a lot more time on it and we won't this morning, is this. Number two, Jesus reiterates his previous promise. Now, this is not the first time he's made this promise. It won't be the last time he's made this promise. In fact, he makes this promise fairly regularly in a variety of forms. Jesus reiterates his previous promise that if he leaves his disciples, and he would, and he did, he would also return to them for them and for us in a little while. Verse 19. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying, A little while and you will not see me, and again, a little while and you will see me? So he's, he's once again reiterating this promise that, yes, he, he, is, he is going. Uh, he could say to them, as he did in a variety of ways, nothing personal, strictly business. I'm on my father's mission. It's not you. I'm not, I'm not leaving you. I'm returning to him so that I can intercede on your behalf to, with him. Oh, and by the way, so that, he, so that he and I can send you the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit gets here, it's actually to my advantage that I go. Or, or to your advantage that I go. And I'll be back in a little while. Well, we're still in that little while, aren't we? To the Lord, a thousand days is like a thousand years is like a day, and, and a day like a thousand years. There's a third thing the sorrow experienced over Jesus' departure will be made up in greater joy in the world and even in the lives of his disciples. Guess when? In a little while. Right? Verses 20 to 21. Truly, truly, I say to you, this is Jesus responding to them, you will reap and lament, weep rather, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. This is at his departure. So we can pretty much understand that, right? So those in the world at the time, we can see this in two different ways. Those in the world at the time who wanted him gone would rejoice. This is one possibility of what he's saying here. They just wanted to be done with him. The religious leaders wanted to be done with him. The Romans wanted to be done with him. Herod wanted to be done with him. Or he could be saying that the world will rejoice because I send the Holy Spirit and hear the gospel and, and are saved, and they are part of the joy that you yourselves will experience. I'm not sure that there's a reason to choose between the two. I think often the answer is the both and. I think it's right. I think the world would rejoice who wanted him gone, and I think the world will rejoice when they come to Christ and experience the joy of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit just like the, the, the lot of us 
do. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. Now, I don't think that this sorrow turning into joy is still to come. I think it happened at Pentecost. I think it happened when they saw the resurrected Jesus and were able to have a meal with him. He was here for 40 days um, before he ascended back to the Father. Um, I, so I think he was probably talking about both of those things, both when they met him resurrected, you will see me again, both when the Holy Spirit came and indwelt them and they became real partners in the gospel with Jesus Christ because his spirit lived within in them and they were able to plant the church all the way to Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada was the result of him leaving and sending the Holy Spirit. I think both of those are true. And finally, there's a fourth thing. The joy that Jesus brings. The joy that Jesus brings. I want, I, want, I want to pause there for a second and just note it's not the same thing as the joy that the world gives or the peace that the world gives or anything that the world gives. This comes from the Holy Spirit. It does not come through emotional um, manipulation. It does not come through uh, the achievement of some goals or the accumulation of some property or wealth. Uh, this comes from the Holy Spirit and from no other. And as such, it has a quality and a quantity unlike any other. It is joy from the inside out. It is joy that is enduring. It is joy that is eternal. It is joy that is transforming and is transcendent. This is the joy of which Jesus speaks. The joy that Jesus brings through the Holy Spirit now and by Jesus' return, in a little while, it lasts it endures. No one can take it away from us because it is eternal, as is the Holy Spirit who brings it. Verses 22, 3, and 4. So also, you have sorrow now. I skipped a, a verse, didn't I? I, I skipped 21. Let's, let's read that now. It's, it's a, I just about said it's a great illustration, but of course it is. It's the illustration that Jesus gave. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she, she no longer remembers the anguish. I could take a poll and see if that's true. I won't. I believe Jesus. No longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. This is an illustration of the kind of joy that he is talking about. The kind of joy that both he experiences and the kind of joy that he brings to us. And the point here is perhaps obvious, but the point is whatever we suffer in this life will not compare with the joy that we experience in the presence of God forever. That's the point. Much like the joy that a mother experiences once the baby is born, she may well say the pain was worth it, I don't know, I haven't been there. Well, I've been there, but I, yeah. 22. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice. Your hearts will rejoice. 
So for sure he's making reference to the resurrection in this case. I, I don't say he's making only reference to the resurrection, but certainly he's making reference to the resurrection, which would happen in just a short while, just three days after his death, on the third day, I should say, which is a little bit different than three days. On the third day, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And your hearts will rejoice, and this is a great promise. And another reason we need the Holy Spirit. And no one will take your joy from you. <clears throat> and I've found this to be precisely true. Now, I can give my joy up. I can become unjoyful because, you know, I'm placing my mind on other things, less joyous. But no one can take the Holy Spirit from you, and therefore no one can take your joy, your peace, the love of God in you, the kindness, the goodness. Watch the last one, number nine, self-control. No one can take that away from you because the Holy Spirit is, and he will forever be, and he resides among his people. No one will take your joy from you, verse 23. In that day, that day that you see me and that your hearts rejoice is what he's talking about. In that day another time reference like we looked at last week. You will ask nothing of me. I think he's probably talking about uh, not just when uh, we encounter the resurrected Christ or when they encounter the resurrected Christ, but when we're in his presence, we will know fully and be fully known. I think that's probably what he's making a reference to. You will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you until now. Okay, so now he's back in the present time. He's talking about his time with the disciples over the last, we'll say, 18 to 36 months, something around that uh, figure. And uh, up until this time, you have asked nothing in my name. But now is the point. But now, after you see me again, after I'm raised, after I send to the Father, after Pentecost happens, ask and you will receive. And here's the, the amazing thing to me, that this is all that your joy, that our joy, that the disciples' joy may be full or complete. Full or complete joy, regardless of the circumstance. I'd like, to, I'd like for you to turn with me to Romans 12, and we'll be back. Uh, we'll be finished with this. Uh, now, some of you know where I'm headed. I'm glad for that because that means you know your Bibles. I'm sorry, I said Romans, I meant Hebrews. That's what I get for doing things by memory, which is failing me at the moment. This is the chapter after the Hall of Faith chapter, verse 1, chapter 12 of Hebrews. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and he's talking about historical believers who gave up their lives because of their faith. That's all of chapter 11. That's what chapter 11 is all about. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, great in number, great in faithfulness, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely 
And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Or if you translate that, and you know this because I've spoken about this a number of times. If you translate that literally, it's looking to Jesus, the pioneer, the one who blazes the trail before us. And perfecter, the one who completes our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him. For the joy that was set before him. What is he experiencing now? The cross. That's what he's experiencing. Is that joyful? Well, no. Not, not, not physically. But for the joy that was set before him. Endured the cross. Despising the shame. And is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That's the, that's the joy the Bible talks about. That overcomes any circumstance. That transcends us. That transforms us. That endures through anything and also is eternal because the one who gives it, the Holy Spirit, is himself eternal and no one can steal him from us. Transforming and transcendent joy. Enduring and eternal joy is a fundamental, spirit-given, Christ-like characteristic promised by Jesus Christ to all his born-again disciples, every single one. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ, while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. Repeat the sounding joy. Repeat the sounding joy. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love and wonders of his love and wonders of his love. Amen. Let's pray together. God, our Father, as we come before you in the name of Jesus once again to ask you to give us some insight into this season, some insight that isn't a, 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 a retread of previous seasons. And, and yet, the old gospel is the true gospel, is the real gospel, is the biblical gospel, is the Christian gospel, and we, so we tell it over and over and over and over again. And, and part of it is that you, Jesus, have come to save us. And it's during this season in particular, though there's no biblical mandate for it, there's no biblical command, there's no instruction at all to remember your birth. There is a record of it in Holy Scripture, and so 
we take it as both true and important, historical and spiritual, useful for us to remember recurrently. We thank you also, Lord, for these little children who gave us a testimony of that night in Bethlehem when you arrived. We have no comprehension the distance that you traversed in that moment. The eternal, co-equal Son of God became a baby in a manger in Bethlehem to human parents. Thank you. And continue to, to grow us up into the knowledge of who you are and what you have done and what you will do if we'll simply follow you. In Jesus' name.